Me, I'm open to the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. And you look so comfortable sitting there, I'm going to have you stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. I feel some preaching coming on right now. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm about to jump up in that black boy gear now. And I don't mean to discriminate against you white preachers, but there's never been a white preacher could preach like a black preacher when he got wound up. Say amen right there. Amen. And I feel the spizzerinkum, the big wheel about to get tangled up with the little wheel, and we've got to go here. Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 28. Here's what Paul spoke to the pastors of the church, and here's what he said. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this. He didn't say, I worry about this. I fear this. I suspicion this. He said, I know this. What does he know? For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples uh, after them. He said wolves are going to come in from the outside and they're going to invade your congregation. They're going to invade the work of God. They're wolves and they won't spare the flock. They'll tear up your church. Notice verse 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. People in the church, people who have been in the church for years, sometimes people the most beloved and, and appreciated and served long time, but something happens to them. We don't know what happens, but they, uh, turn, they get wolf blood. And he says, therefore watch, verse 31, and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, I think you can properly apply that verse to soul winning, warned everybody night and day with tears, but in no stretch of the Bible can you interpret that to be soul winning. That has nothing in the world to do with soul winning. You notice the word therefore in verse 31. Anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to stop and look and see what it's there for. Okay, and if you look at the three verses before that, you'll see what the therefore refers to. It, refer, it doesn't refer to lost people at all. It refers to the fact that Paul said, I'm going to leave, but when I leave, the wolves are going to move in. And the wolves are going to destroy your church. And therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, let me ask you a question. If in a church that the Apostle Paul, where he had won them to God, he had preached and they had gotten saved, a church the Apostle Paul had been used of God to establish, if in a church like that, where the Apostle Paul was the pastor, he said, I know the wolves are going to come. I know they're going to come. And you, they're going to come from the outside. Some of them are going to, be, going to rise up from the inside. And he said, now you watch. And then he was educating them. If he knew for a fact the wolves were coming in, he also by admission knew there was nothing you could do about stopping them. The message I'm about to preach to you will not stop wolves from coming in your church. As a matter of fact, it won't stop wolves from rising up in your congregation. As a matter of fact, it, it won't even... Now, we've run off a few wolves with this sermon. We, we had no idea we were doing it, but we ran off a few with this sermon. And, uh, but, uh, but this is not a sermon to prevent wolves or uh, even run off wolves or, or to guard against wolves. This is an education sermon. This is a sermon that the church needs to know. The good news is, the bad news is, you're not going to keep a wolf out of your church. The good news is you, can, you can't stop him, 
But if you can educate the people so they know what a wolf is and how a wolf works, a wolf will never tear your church up. It is not the wolf that tears the church up. Uh, you remember Absalom? He rebelled against his own daddy. Sometimes wolves can move in real close uh, to the, uh, they can be staff members, they, uh, close to the pastor. In this case, it was, it was David's own son rose up against him and he, to th overthrow him off the phone, uh, uh, off the throne. But you know, what happened was there is this right here. He said, uh, Absalom went forth and 200 simple men with him that knew nothing. That don't mean that they were mentally retarded. It meant they were just, just following him. They were not educated. They didn't realize what they were doing. They didn't stop and say, look, Absalom's not the king. David's the king. They didn't stop and think about that. And so this message is an education sermon for you. It is also an education sermon for the pastor. He will hear things in this sermon he needs to know. I'm going to preach to the pastor some while this is going on. Now, he's starting to get nervous now. I'm going to preach to the pastor some while this is going on. You're welcome to listen in, and you'll know when I'm preaching to him and when I'm preaching to you, and most of it is for everybody. But I bring you a message tonight entitled, Blowing the Whistle on the Wolf. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you'll do great and wonderful things. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the word of God, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Dear Lord, it directs us when we're in the dark. It leads us, Lord, when we're confused. It takes away the doubt when Satan comes to question the things of God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll bless us now as we preach this holy Bible. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm not a good preacher, and I I don't claim that this is a good sermon, but I'm as convinced as I'm alive that this sermon could save this church and save the future of this church. And I pray, oh God, that you'll do it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. Now give me your undivided attention. Um, pastor said I could take whatever time I needed to to preach the sermon, so I'm going to be preaching 150 words a minute with Gus up to 180. And uh, I'm not going to, we're going to keep the corn tonight and we're going to throw the cob away. I won't be wasting your time. I'm going to be moving. Listen carefully, listen deliberately, listen intently, and here we go. Wolves are dangerous. And wolves are to be avoided. 2 Thessalonians 3.14, if any man obey not our epistle by this word, have, have no fellowship with him. And then Romans 16.17, now I beseech you, brother, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine ye have received and avoid them. What we're going to do tonight is try to mark a wolf. We're going to identify the wolf. It won't run him off. It won't keep one from coming in. But if you can understand him and you know how he or she works, by the way, they, they do come in both genders, you know. And if you can understand how, it, how they work, a wolf will never tear this church up. But if you don't understand and if the church doesn't stay alert and aware and watch and see what's going on, then a, a, a wolf can be a catalyst to destroy the Woodland Baptist Church. And I'm as serious as a mortician tonight. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. And I don't preach everything, but I don't know everything. Uh, but I'll tell you, I only preach what I know and I'm, what I'm about to preach to you, I know. Wolves are dangerous and wolves are to be avoided. Somebody said there's three kinds of wolves in the Bible. Zephaniah 3.3 3 speaks of evening wolves and Matthew 7.15 speaks of ravening wolves and Acts 20 verse 29 speaks of grievous wolves. The evening wolves of Zephaniah 3.3 3 are the wolves that do their uh, stuff subtly. 
I was preaching in a church in your state running 900. And uh, I, I said to the pastor, you got any wolf trouble around here? No, we're on a honeymoon. Man, the church is growing. We got hundreds of people and God is blessing. He said, why did you ask? I said, I don't know. I just felt led to preach the wolf sermon. Preach it. You never know when a man have, might have a little trouble. Boy, was he ever telling the truth. Little did he know that his secretary and her deacon husband was already making the rounds on him. Little did he know that they were sowing question marks and innuendos, not about his character or his morals or his money or anything like that, but about the way he did things and the way he handled things. And they were already making the rounds on him. They were already diluting the authority that he had in the minds of those that would listen. And I preached this sermon. While I was preaching this sermon, they were so marked they were so uh, uh, alerted. Uh, the people saw them so clear, uh, identified their behavior so clear that people were turning around looking at them while I was preaching. And the veins popping out on her neck. And they were getting red and real embarrassed. A week and a half later, the pastor called me and said, Brother Brown, you saved my ministry. I said, what happened? He said, and he told me what happened. He said, I had no idea. I had no idea. But they were so identified in that service that within a week and a half, they mounted their horse, tipped their hat, and rode off into the sunset. He said, you, he said, you saved my ministry. I said, I did not save your ministry, buddy. The Holy Ghost of God saved your ministry. That's who saved your ministry. I mean the evening wolves. And then there's the ravening wolves of Matthew 7, 15. Another church, another church running 1,100 and a great, great church. And a pastor called me. I knew him well. I'd preached there multiple times. And he said, I've got a situation I don't know how to handle. I said, well, tell me about it. Well, he said, I've got a youth director. And this youth director I just found out has been saying negative things about me and the way I handle things. And I don't know what to do. And said, he's got the heart of much of the church because he's got their young people in the youth group. And he said, I just found out about it. I don't know what to do. I said, well, let me tell you what to do. I said, I'm of the persuasion a lot of things are just prayed through, but not this, not this. I said, I tell you what you do. You make a beeline to him, and you set him down, look him square in the eye, and tell him the next time he opens his mouth in criticism or ridicule of anything you do, you're going to go straight to the pulpit and give the, your people the opportunity to pick him or you to be the pastor of this church. And you're going to expose him. And I said, when you do that, you'll probably lose five families. I'm guessing you're going to lose five families. Church will run at 1,100. He didn't do it. He waited too late. He, 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 he shied away from it, and he, and he waited too late. And that man took 28 tithing, working, bus running, Christian school teaching, uh, nursery working, ushers and choir members, families. I didn't say 28 people. I said families. I, he took a, a significant core of the working, giving uh, heart of the church out. The last I knew that church was running 200 was on the shadow of the church that it was. We're talking about ravening wolves. And then there's grievous wolves, Acts 20, verse 29. Uh, grievous wolves cause grief. I'm thinking now of a pastor who called me. He lived close enough he could drive to my home in Iowa. And he said, Pastor Brown, I need to talk to somebody. I got a mess. And I said, he said, can I come? I said, yes. He said, can I bring my wife? He said, I said, you may bring your wife. And he did. He came. And when I opened the door, I looked down at that man, and I looked at his wife. They were mid-30-ish. And I looked at them, and I knew that woman had to have help. He said, Brother Brown, they said they wanted standards till I came and preached standards, and then they fought me. And he said, they said they wanted to grow until the little clique that controlled the church 
uh, was threatened by the people getting saved and more people coming in, and all of a sudden they didn't want growth because they were about to lose their little struck power struggle and power hold. And he said, they didn't have enough guts to come to my face, and they've knifed me in the back through my wife and gone to her until I came in today, and she had taken a 22 rifle and set it to her head and tried to, it jammed on her, so she didn't kill herself. And he said, I don't know what to do. I wouldn't even let him go home. We put him in a motel room. We kept their children in our home that night. And I said, don't you let that woman go to the bathroom by herself. Don't you let her get up. If you have to stay awake all night, that woman's in a bad shape. He said, well, what am I going to do? I said, leave. Run. I spent 30, I started a church from scratch and spent 38 years pastoring it to prove you don't jump and run every time you have a little trouble. But I'm not burying my wife over anybody's church. Did you hear what I just said to you? I'm not going to bury my wife over anybody. I told him, I said, fella, you lose that church, you could get you another one. You lose your wife, you're done. I mean, you're, you're washed up, you're done. He left that church, went to another church. It's been, oh, 30 years ago. And that man has won literally thousands of, God, of people to God uh, because and he was faithful. And his faithful wife matured in grace and went on and served the Lord. And I thank God, grievous, grievous wolves. Somebody has said the bees and the birds and the cows all low and hum and sing in the major chord. But a wolf always howls in the minor chord. I believe I hear a wolf howling now somewhere while I'm preaching this sermon. I'll be here a wolf howling somewhere. And you know what I'm going to do tonight? There they are. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're listening to tonight is the actual recorded voices of wolves in the wild in Canada and Alaska, studied by a man who spent his life following wolves and noticing their nature. Do you hear that disharmony? That disharmony is a sound that in the spirit world only a godly pastor can really understand. And you know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to blow the whistle on the wolf. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Just stay on the trigger. I'll need you after a while. Uh, now, what about wolves? Let's talk about wolves. Number one, they got carnal appetites. Carnal appetites. If you don't want to draw up a bunch of wolves, don't dump out a bunch of flesh in wolf country. Because if you do, they're going to come. Wolves are flesh eaters. They love the flesh and they come. If you want to keep the wolves out of the church, the first thing you got to do is keep the flesh out of your church. I mean, the flesh out of your church. We don't need Sister Wigglejaw coming up here with a dress on four sizes too small. Look like the must green eye shadow, look like a gallbladder's busted, grabbing a microphone and singing in that breathy voice. We don't, look, hey, we got saved out of that kind of stuff. If we wanted that junk, we'd go back to the nightclub and get it. But he had put a new song in our heart, even praise unto my God. Uh, keep the flesh out. I'm not talking about the visitors that come. Good night, a woman come in here with not enough clothes on to clean out the barrel of a 10 gauge shotgun. She's welcome. And you ought to go to her and make her welcome. Ladies, you ought to go to her and, and, and love her up. And by the way, some of you sitting here, ladies, you didn't dress like you dressing tonight when you first got saved either. Amen. And aren't you glad somebody loved you as you were and took you in and had patience with you? But keep the flesh out of the church. Uh, the music, well, keep, keep the music right. Amen. Keep the music. I tell you, I'm so sick now. Before Brother Brown comes, uh, uh, Sister Jones is going to come and sing. I'm sick of that. We don't need that. This contempt, this Amy Grunt, Fatty Patty, Heave Green, Andrea Grouch junk, that stuff don't put any ham on the hog. Let me tell you, we need to keep the place clean. Keep the place clean of flesh. I hear another wolf howling right now. Somewhere, I believe you'll hear a wolf howling. Amen. And you know what we're doing tonight? 
Glory to the whistle, only wolf. Thank you, my brother. Number two, you got to know something about the traits of wolves. First of all, the wolves are garbage collectors. You say, what do you mean? An old, I did a study, an old female wolf, when she's got little pups in the den, she'll trot the country looking for something to eat and feed her pups. And do you know what she'll find? She'll find an old deer that somebody shot and went off and died, and it's been dead long enough in hot sun that there's a gallon of maggots working in and out the body. And when she finds that deer, she'll reach down and rip off strips of that poison, uh, rotten flesh, maggots and all, and she will ingest that. And then she'll go back to her den and she'll regurgitate that for her little pups. And they'll sit there and eat on that. Do you know what a wolf will do in the church? They'll encompass the church looking for whatever's rotten, whatever stinks, whatever. And, and, and they got a nose for it and they got an ear for it. And they're looking for the trouble and they love to pick it up and, and they take it back home to their children and they take it back to other church members and they're just, they're just pollinating the church with negative stuff all around. Let me tell you something. If you came to this church looking for trouble tonight, you're not right with God. Did you come to hear from God or did you come to see what's wrong with somebody? Well, I got news for you. There's something wrong with everybody in this room, including me. There's not a human being here, but what you can't find fault with them in some way, somehow. But I'm telling you, if you come to find fault, you can find it. If you come to get a blessing, you can get a blessing. And God have mercy on anybody that can't walk through those doors in the Woodland Baptist Church and get their gizzard blessed. Say amen right there. <clears throat> I don't care whether you got one or not, you'll get your gizzard blessed if you're looking for a blessing. Another thing about them, uh, these wolves are um, fellowshippers. So they invite little groups over to their house to fellowship. And I'm not against fellowship. And I'm not against you having a fellowship at your house about this. Well, when it's the same little clique all the time to the exclusion of certain others. And you say, well, we're just having a little prayer time. No, you're having a little gossip time. I, I'm, I know too much about that. I, I've been, and, and they need, Pastor, I want you to know that uh, God has raised me up to meet the needs of the church. No, he hasn't. God raised you up to go soul winning and have prayer, clean out the commode between Sunday school and preaching and follow the man whom God did raise up to meet the needs of the church. That's what God raised you up for. I'm just saying they're fellowshippers in need meters and they want a priority in position. Uh, like, they're like the Pharisees of Luke 11, 13, who love the upper, uh, Luke 11, 43, who love the uppermost seats in the synagogue. They want a position and not a condition. And uh, uh, I tell you what, you, you, want, you want to pick somebody to put them on as a deacon, you get your godly bus running, soul winning, uh, tithing, uh, servant of God that's not, that not too shy to run her hand down a toilet and pull out a roll of toilet paper some bus kid flushed down between Sunday school and preaching. You, you put them on and you'll be all right. And uh, uh, these high-powered people that want to position. Now, let me tell you, Pastor, I'm so glad you gave me this opportunity to come and talk to you. Uh, I, I know we just joined the church, but you need to know that in the last five churches that I have been in, this is a lady now talking in this particular case, in the last five churches I've been in, God has used me to sing. And pastor, I don't know why everybody says I'm all that good. I really don't think I'm all that good. But everybody talks about, and I knew you didn't know that. And I wanted to inform you that I've been, notice it's the last five churches, you know. When they got to where they couldn't get enough glory, they'd move to another church, you know. And I just wanted you to know God has raised me up. Thanks for the warning, Gertrude. 
thanks for the warning. Who wants to hear somebody that pushes herself? Who wants to hear somebody that thinks they're all that hot? We'd like to hear humble servants of God get up and say, preacher, I don't think I'm as good as the rest of them, but if you think I can be used to God, okay, let's go. Amen? That's, that's the attitude that we need. They get all bent out of shape about nothing. I've seen wolves rise up and take issue about something, and I thought to myself, I'd like to take you a list of things you could have got mad at a whole lot better than what you got mad at. You know, that, these are the things that's worse than what you're talking about. Why don't you pick out one of them? And, get, and it's amazing how they get all bent out of shape over nothing. Over, and here's another one. Uh, they will come to you and they say, Pastor, uh, you know, I know we've been here for 12 years. And I know our babies were born here. And I know when we came here, we had marital trouble. And God has used you to keep our marriage together. But Pastor, it looks like we're going to have to leave. And the pastor will say, oh, really? What's the problem? Pastor, here it is. Watch it. Pastor, we're just not being fed. Uh, I've heard your pastor preach. Who in good conscience could say you're not being fed at the Woodland Baptist Church? I mean, who, who could say that in good conscience? But wait a minute. I'm going to throw you into shock and hear the conclusion of the matter. They're telling the truth, and here's why. The Bible says, and I'm going to show you the verse here in just a moment. Uh, the Bible says that it teaches that we can never receive in food and feeding from a pastor any higher level of feeding than the degree to which we esteem him. Okay? And that's found in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 14. And listen to what it says here. It says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, that's your pastor, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, be at peace, get along with each other, and to esteem your pastor very highly in love for, not to make a God out of him. We've had enough man worship in this country. Don't you think we have? But, but I'm talking about to esteem him very highly in love for his work's sake. Because the more you, you, you came to this church 12 years ago, whoa, did you hear that preacher? I didn't know there was anybody in the world left to rear back and just give them old-time religion. Like I didn't know there was any churches left that just thunder out from that King James Bible and run buses and get people saved and stand for what's right. Good night. We're in heaven. Isn't this wonderful? But now through the years, after the pastor has gotten more knowledgeable and after he's a better preacher and after he's learned more about the Bible even than he had then, suddenly you're not being fed. And the reason is because you have allowed something or someone to de-evaluate the pastor in your eyes. And when the value and the appreciation and the way you esteem him highly begins to wane and diminish, your intake of food has diminished. So in reality, they're telling the truth, pastor, we're just not being fed. It's not because the food's not there. It's not because the blessing's not there. It's not because God's not there. It's simply because you have allowed something or someone to de-evaluate the preacher in your faith. Now, I'm just simply saying these are some of the traits of the wolf. Here's another thing about wolves. All wolves want to be leaders of the pack. Third John 9 and 10, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who love to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not, prating against us with all the malicious words. And what does he say about him? He loveth to have the preeminence among them. Wolves are inwardly bothered by certain scriptures like Hebrews 13, 7, 17, and 21. Listen to it. Uh, Hebrews um, 13, 7, remember them which have the rule over you. 
who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. And then I want you to notice verse 15. Uh, let's see, uh, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as that they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable. Don't make it hard on the pastor that's trying to help you and bless you. Don't make it hard on the man of God that God gave you to keep your marriage together, to keep your children out of hell, to keep your own life from going down the drain with some loose living, uh, loose goose out there somewhere. Don't, don't make it hard on him. Make it easy on him to be your blessing and minister. And then the Bible says in verse 24, the same chapter, salute all them that have the rule. Speak to the past. Well, I went to church three times and the pastor didn't even shake my hand. Well, I don't carry pacifiers. I carry a briefcase, but I don't have pacifiers. But I did. I start passing them out right now. I really would. He didn't shake your hand. Did you know the Bible says salute all them that have the rule over you? But, I, but it never is found in the word of God where they that have the rule over you are to salute you. Tells you to speak to the pastor, but don't, it don't say anything. Now, the pastor does speak to people. I see him all over the place. He's not abstract from you. He loves you. He loves all of you. And he loves all of you equally, no matter what you do and what you say and how you live and how you dress or where you go. He loves you equally. And God gave him that gift. But let me tell you something. You're told to salute him. And the Bible doesn't even say that he is to salute you. But uh, listen, uh, I'm talking about, did you know... And by the way, Pastor, there's a lot of, lot of things that identify a wolf. I'm going to give you one right here. Pastor, thank you so much for allowing me this time and appointment to come and talk to you. By the way, he's, he's, he's going to be preached at tonight, and he's getting it now, so listen carefully. Pastor, I thank you so much for letting me come and talk to you. First of all, began, before I tell you what I came to tell you, I just want you to be aware of the fact that we thank God for you, and we thank God for your family, and we thank God for the Bible you preach and the stand you take and your faithfulness here and longevity here. But pastor, if you miss everything else I say tonight, don't miss the next phrase. But pastor, people are coming to me. Now when you hear that preacher, you know you got a wolf. And I'm going to tell you why you know you got a wolf. Because you got some church members in this room that if a person had a, a gruntled spirit about, they would never go to those people. They know too much. They know, they know better. He's not my pastor. He's not my pastor. But you wouldn't come up here and say anything negative about him. No. I'd clean your clock. I, I, I mean, listen, you come up here. Well, uh, you know, Brother Gammon, I just don't agree with him. So I'd say, hold it, stop, hold the phone. Have you talked to Brother Gammon about that? Well, no, but I said, you go to Brother Gammon. Well, now, he's wrong. Hey, if he's wrong, he'll tell you he's wrong, but you go to him. Give him a chance to uh, tell his side of the story. You've been listening to all of his enemies. You've been listening to all his big mouth running around, running him down. Why don't you go to him? That's what I'll say to you. I don't care who you Try me. Try me. Just see if I want. You know I will. If my own daughter or son-in-law were to say that, I'd, I'd, first of all, I'd whip them. And the second thing, <laughs> Brooke and Mason appreciated that. They liked that, didn't they? But I'd say, hey, you go to your pastor. You go to your pastor. And you talk to him about it. Uh, let me tell you, uh, but people are coming to me, pastor. Now, you know you got a wolf because those with disgruntled spirits never go to certain church members. They know better. They know better. Now, um, 
by the way, when they say people are coming to me, don't let it bother you, Pastor, because really it's just the guy's wife. That's the only one that's been to him. So don't. Uh, uh, I was telling somebody today, I said, Brother Keith Gomez, he passed, has a great, had a great church. He just resigned, turned it over to an assistant. But Pastor Keith Gomez said a guy came in one day and said, Pastor, I just, uh, you know, I, we just don't agree with some things. I, I mean, we just don't agree with some of the things that's going on here. And, uh, and he unloaded for about 20 minutes. Keith sat there just calm as a leaf, and he said, what else did your wife send you in here to tell me? Amen? And uh, by the way, that, that, leads, that leads us to this. In every wolf pack, there's an alpha male and there's an alpha female. Alpha means first. And it, they study them at night. These, these wolves you hear howling, they, they study them at night with infrared cameras and some high-tech stuff I don't have time to get into. And they, they, there'll be at least six or seven, sometimes 10 or 12 wolves in a pack. They travel at night. When the sun comes up, they lay down and they sleep during the day and then they're nocturnal. They, they travel. So here's this big dog wolf. He's right out front. By the way, I got a picture of one killed in Drayton, Alberta, Canada. I've got it, I've got it at home. Uh, that wolf weighed 235 pounds. We're talking about a big puppy. We're talking about the kind of boy you don't want to meet at night. But here's this big dog wolf. He's, he's leading the pack. And, and boy, you say, what a leader. What a leader. But right behind him is a little female wolf about half his size. And she just trot along and you'll say, oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> She's following her leader. She's letting him do the leading. But they noticed that as he traveled through the woods, that big wolf was always throwing his head to the right, head to the left, like he's expecting something to run over him or something. They couldn't understand it. They studied it for a long time, couldn't understand it. Finally, they found out what was happening. As they studied these wolves, they'd be trotting along, this little female right behind him, and then a bunch of wolves behind her. And all of a sudden, this little female wolf would decide she wanted to go down this trail here. So she'd just break without warning or reason. She'd just break and start down a different trail. Well, he would catch it out of his peripheral vision. And when he did, he'd jump over in front of her and lead her down that trail. In a little bit, they'd come to another forks in the road. She'd decide she wanted to go to the left. She'd just break without warning. She'd break, to, he'd catch it, and he'd jump over in front. And he said, you think it's that big dog wolf leading the pack? It ain't, it's that little female. Yeah. Yeah. I done told you something now, friend. Yeah. <laughs> Next year, Next year, I started preaching when I was uh, 18 years old. I will be 78 next year. Next year, I celebrate 60 years of preaching. I've been walking in and out of churches like yours for 60 years. And, I was, I, and let me tell you something. I've learned a few things. And here's what I, one of the things that I've learned. Preacher, whenever you have trouble in a church, about nine times out of every eight, and I got my math right now, about nine times out of every eight, there's a woman behind it somewhere. Oh, yeah, she may be that quick, meek little thing. I just thank God I've got a husband that's a leader, but at home she's fueling his fire and keeping him disgruntled and got him up. Whenever a man comes, well, pastor, I know this is a business meeting, but I just want to disagree. I just don't think. Let me tell you something. That man's got problems, and here's why. Are you listening to me? That man's got problems because God made every man to be a king and rule somewhere. And when a man of God, a saved man of God is ruling in his home, not as a tyrant, but as a loving leader, loving his wife, loving his children with the confidence of his wife and confidence of his children. And he's saying, honey, I really believe this is the way God's leading us to go. And she's saying, hey, if you feel that's what God wants us to do, count me in. I'm and the children feel the same way. That man is a contented man. 
He has fulfilled his purpose in life, and he does not need to come to the Woodland Baptist Church and cause you trouble in a business meeting. Did you hear what I just told you? He don't need to do that because he has no need of that. Whenever man, that's a fellow that's got trouble at home. And he's probably run by that little female. And don't look at me that way. You'll motivate me to park right there. You better, I'm t- Amen. I'm just saying, uh, look, uh, all wolves want to be leaders of the pack. All wolves want to be leaders of the pack. I hear a wolf howling now. I hear a wolf howling right now somewhere. And you know what we're going to do? By the grace of God, blow the, blow the whistle on the wolf. Here's another thing. A wolf won't let the pastor pastor the church. He'll get in the way. I had a former assistant pastor who let, I've, I've trained a lot of men through the years. <clears throat> I pastored the church 38 years. And, and I had I trained a lot of men. And I had one of them that went out and built a great church. He was back preaching for me. And here's what he said. He said, I thank God for a church that will allow me the liberty to lead the church. And here's what he said. He said, you know, the other night on a Sunday night, I got up in the pulpit and I said, folks, um, what I'm about to do is a little irregular, but I would like to have have a vote of confidence tonight from the congregation to dismiss missionary so-and-so and do it immediately. And I want you to know we have not had a deacons meeting about this, and I have not even contacted the deacons. Uh, It's coming to them as much of a shock as it's coming to you. But I'd like to ask you to put confidence in me to present to you that we, now he's not on the field, he's, he's home, his family's home with him. He will not be left stranded without food, but I think we need to drop him immediately. And uh, it got de- quiet, deathly quiet, because it was a missionary everybody loved and emulated, especially the young people really emulated this missionary. A deacon raised his hand in the back and said, Pastor, if we're hearing you correctly, what you're saying is because of information you have you'd, you'd rather not discuss, you're asking us, to drop this missionary immediately and do it without discussion. He says, yes, sir, you heard me correctly. It was a second. Voted on, 100% all in favor. <coughs> Here's what he said. <clears throat> he said, I'm glad I had a church that trusted me to make some decisions without hurting some good people. He said, I'm glad my church didn't force me to get up and blurt out in our church that that man had been messing with his own little girls. He said, I'm glad they didn't cause me to crush that dear wife worse than she's already been hurt. I'm glad they didn't cause me to take those little children and drag them out in front of the whole world. God knows they're going to have enough to overcome as it is. God knows they're going to need enough help as it is. But they don't need exposing in front of the whole world. They're not the guilty ones. The man was the guilty one. He said, I'm so glad my church put enough confidence in me to to let me do some business without hurting some good people. Let me tell you something. Let the pastor be the pastor. Look, uh, here's another thing. I had a little girl got expecting in a church like, it wasn't this church, thank God, but out of a prominent family, the little thing was 15 years old and got expecting. And the parents came to the pastor and said, Pastor, what are we going to do? We're afraid she's going to have an abortion. What are we going to do? They said, can you help us? And he said, I'll do my best. Well, he tried to get to her. The little thing was avoiding him like a hot potato, you know, and he couldn't catch her. She would evading him. And before he could get to her, along came Miss Wigglejaw. Pastor, have you heard? Yes, ma'am, I've heard. No, I mean, have you heard about little so-and-so being expected? Yes, ma'am, I've heard. 
Uh, Pastor, what are we going to do about it? He said, well, we're trying to do something about it now. Uh, what we're trying to do is get to her if we can. We'd like to see her get right with the Lord. We'd like to see her repent and get right with the Lord. And what we'd like to do is so many families would like a little baby to raise and, uh, and a little 15-year-old with no husband. If we could convince her that some good family could take her baby and raise her. I'm not talking about that, Pastor. I'm not talking about that. When are we going to church her? We don't want vote around. Well, ma'am, the first thing we want to do is restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. That's the, that's the first thing we would like to do. But I don't think it's right. Little old girl out of a prominent family running around here, great with child, nobody doing anything. Where's church discipline? Where's, and boy, she went out of there, and she was having herself a time, getting all the ladies together. And she was having herself a wonderful time till somebody leaned over and informed her that the father to the baby was her son. Suddenly, she had a change of attitude. Suddenly, she didn't want a preacher in a church and kick them out in the alley, stop her guts out and let them go into hell with the rest of them. Suddenly, she wanted somebody to reach out and try to restore the fallen and, and reach those that are down and help them up by the grace and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the pastor pastor the church. True story. True story. A pastor had a youth director come to him. And he said, Pastor, uh, you asked me to go over all the list of the activities that the youth department would have. He said, yes, sir, I did. So, well, here's what I've got down here for the next three months. And said, on this Saturday now, we're going to be horseback riding. And on this Saturday, we'll be bowling. And on this Saturday, we're going over to Brother So-and-So's house, and we're going to be swimming. And on the, he said, stop right there. Hold it. He said, uh, instead of going over to Brother So-and-So's house, said, uh, why, don't you, um, why don't you go horseback riding? Or how about some softball? And a little assistant pastor looked up and said, Pastor, it's Brother So-and-so. He sings in the choir. He said, yeah, I know, I know who he is, faithful member. He said, Pastor, it, it's, he's got that big Olympic-sized pool, that mansion of a house he's got, and he's got a nine-foot privacy fence, and the boys are going to swim in the morning, and there ain't going to be a, a guy on the property when the, boy, when, uh, when the girls swim. He's, I mean, the fellow that owns the house, it seems not quite, he, he said, I won't be there. I, I don't want to be on the property when the girls come. And they're going to get inside of that privacy fence and they're going to swim and have a good time. And as a matter of fact, the lifeguards are all female. There's no, no man lifeguard, nothing like that there. And the pastor said, well, good. That's the kind of standards I expected you to have. But I still think it'd be a good idea if we, and the little fellow dropped his head and said, okay. He made a fatal mistake. He shared that with his closest friend. And his closest friend said, that's strange, isn't it? He said, yeah. He said, what in the world could be wrong with a bunch of boys swimming of a morning? Five hours later, here comes the girls and they swim. Private fence. You couldn't, you couldn't ride a semi by there and see any of them. Why? I, I don't understand why that could, what could be wrong with that. Well, that friend shared it with another friend. And it wouldn't long till here's what you're hearing. Well, I'll tell you what, we're for standards and we're for convictions. But when you can't put a bunch of boys at one time and girls at another it, under a nine-foot privacy fence and let them enjoy a little swimming, we're just going too far around here with that standards thing. What they didn't know was the pastor had found out that even though the guy was a faithful member and sang in the choir, he was a sodomite. 
Oh, yes. <clears throat> Found out he was a sodomite. It had nothing to do with the girls. It had everything to do with the boys. He'd go sit there and watch them boys strut around their little swim trunks, lust after them, maybe seduce them, or who knows, maybe kill them. The pastor knew it, and he was going to move on him, but he was getting his act together. You know, a pastor has to be a doctor, a lawyer, and everything else. If you only knew in any 30-day period, if you only knew what passed over that man right there and what he had to deal with, and I'm going to tell you something. I was, I was kidding he and Mark today. Mark's a good man here, and I know you love him. But I said it doesn't matter how many assistant pastors you hire. When the bottom line comes, it comes all the way back to the pastor. Every single solitary time, it comes back to the pastor. And I, I, but, but, you know, and so anyway... Um, he couldn't tell anybody. You cannot get up and accuse one of your choir members of being a sodomite unless you know what you're talking about and are ready to back it up. Did you hear what I told you? You're talking about splitting a church. You would if you did that. And he was getting it together, and he was, he was going to move on him, but he hadn't quite got it. All he needed, all he needed was a loyal staff member that would listen to him and catch his eye. Look, learn to catch your pastor's eye. Now, that wasn't a wolf. I don't know what that was, but anyway. <clears throat> I never preach, hardly ever preach this sermon, but what, something strange doesn't happen while I'm preaching. It shows we're in on Satan's domain right now, whether you know it or not. We, we're in on it. And, uh, uh, and so anyway, um, all he needed was a faithful staff member that would just catch his eye and go, look, will you leave on vacation? So well, I'm going to leave on vacation. I think I'll get uh, Mrs. So-and-so to teach my class. No, don't do that. You have the pastor get somebody or somebody he's appointed for you to go to. This man right here loves and appreciates members of this church that should not teach a class right now. Amen? They shouldn't teach a class right now. And he knows why, and you don't know why, and you're not going to force him to tell you why without hurting those good people. He wants to watch them grow in grace. He wants to see them grow in the things of the Lord. Let the pastor pastor the church. You never went to a basketball game in your life where your little boy was playing, but that at some time during that game, that ref made one dumb call on your boy. Say amen right there. And you know he did because you, you, you went real close to him like the ref. You was way up in the grandstands. So you had a good overview. Ref, do you see what that kid did to my boy? Hey, ref, come down there and take a pee out of your whistle, boy. Hey, ref, what's wrong with you? You blind? But here's where you mess up. You mess up when you decide you're going to come down out of the stands and do something about it. You know who's going to mess up as a pastor? Me, him, and every other man in the world. There never has been a perfect pastor because there's never been a perfect man. But let the, look, I've got a son that does some professional wrestling. <laughs> wrestling. Reffing, I'm sorry, reffing. <laughs> I would not have a son big enough that could do any professional wrestling, but, but he does some professional reffing. And, uh, and he told me, he said, Dad, there's not a ref on planet Earth of any level but what will look you square in the eye and say, I'll make a bad call now and then. I'll just make a bad call. I say, what do you do? He says, well, my personal way to handle it is if I know I've made a bad call, you don't ever go back. You don't ever go back. But he says, what you do? He said, uh, when they take the ball down the court next time, I run over in front of the offended coach, and I say, hey, coach, we'll get it right next time. He said, that's all I say. I let him know I know what I did, 
And he said, I move forward. But I'm going to tell you something. You'll never in this world have a perfect pastor. But if I were you, I'd say live, die, sink, swim, get fat or die skinny. I'm going to stay with the man of God. I mean, live, die, whatever happens. I mean, until he pulls the name Baptist off that sign, till he swaps that King James Bible for some other uh, NIV, RSV, ASV, DDT, MIC, KEY, MOUSE. I'd stay with the man of God until he swaps his wife in on two 20-year-olds, until he starts drinking something forbidden by Scripture or smoking something that he shouldn't to smoke until he does that you say I'm staying with a man of God Amen. staying with a man of God and I'm just simply saying now I'm talking about loyalty I wouldn't give you a dime for somebody that wouldn't be loyal I wouldn't give you a dime for somebody that wouldn't be loyal if you ain't loyal you ain't nothing you ain't nothing get the big picture I mean look I started Marion Avenue Baptist Church with four men and their wives 50 years ago, two weeks ago. We celebrated 50 years ago, two weeks ago. I resigned at age 65. I became pastor when I was 27. I resigned when I was 65, and I've been at evangelism ever since. Ron and I, we travel the earth. We show up more places than Elvis. We really do. <clears throat> Elvis quit showing up. I'm worried about him. I used to see him picture on tabloids, you know, Elvis spotted somewhere. But anyway, I'm here to tell you something. Uh, you need to understand that... Uh, you, you I, I know a few things, and I know this. There's never a perfect pastor in the world, but you find a man of God who has a, a true heart and serving the Lord and following the Lord. That, get the big picture. You say, well, I didn't like what he did there. Well, get the big picture. Get the big picture. You get it right next time. Get the big picture. Uh, you let the coach put in the player he wants. He left my boy sitting on the bench. Well, it's probably because he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with a basketball. There's no question the ref. Amen. Let the pastor be the pastor. Get the big picture. I hear a wolf howling. I think we treat one on that point, don't you? Amen. I really do. I hear a wolf howling now. I thought I did. There we go. Thank you. Amen. Don't you love it? Amen. <laughs> Blowing the whistle on the wolf. All right. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. And by the way, you ought to thank God for your pastor. If you knew some of the boneheads I pulled as a pastor, you'd thank God for the man God gave you. Amen. Yeah, I pastored that church 38 years. I got up in my church one night, and I said, we're going to have a live animal Christmas play. We're going to have it right here in the auditorium. They stared at me like, what's that? I said, live animal. I told my wife. She said, you can't do it. And I wouldn't have done it if it hadn't been for that announcement. She provoked me. She, I, she locked me in reverse. And, and I said, and honest, literally, I leaned forward. I said, watch me. Watch me. I said, we're going to put a full-size cow in the manger scene right here. We're going to have chickens flying everywhere and dogs barking. We're going to have sheep in the shepherd's seat. We're going to have Mary riding a live animal. I rented a camel, gave $135 for a camel, marched a real with a wise man on his back right down the aisle, cut a hole in the Our ceiling's much higher than yours. Cut a hole in the ceiling and, and flew a flying angel through with artificial spotlights and, and the choir singing and special music. Good night. You thank God I'm not your preacher. <laughs> Amen. But I had a group of people that said this. We think he's nutty in a lot of things he does. 
But I'll tell you right now, as long as he don't cross that Bible, we're going to stay with the man of God. And they did. And God bailed our church. We had 5,000 people in that last live. We've had, we're 46 years into it, uh, 48 years into it. We had 5,000 people show up at that last live animal Christmas play with 400 and some getting born again on one weekend. Had to have 10 showings to get them in. And people came from everywhere. Somebody said, how'd that smell in the house of God with all those animals in the church? i tell you exactly how it smelled. It smelled exactly like it did in that place where the Son of God got born years ago. And if it was not too good for him, it ought not be too good for you. I'm just saying, let the pastor pastor the church. Here's another thing. Wolves live dangerous lives. Wolves live dangerous lives. Acts 20 verse 29, grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And then in Proverbs 6, 16, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, and one of them is he that soweth discard among the brethren. I told you this morning about a fellow who got shot because he came against the pastor in something the pastor said. I'm thinking now of a pastor I know well. If I called his name, your pastor would know him, and many of you men would know him. And he had a great church some years ago, running over 2,000 people, and uh, nobody in this state. It was in another state. And um, he invited Dr. John R. Rice and Dr. Uh, Lee Robertson to come and preach a meeting. Dr. Rice and Dr. Robertson both are in heaven now, but this was some years ago. And this church was an old-fashioned fundamental church, but it was still by name in the Southern Baptist Convention. And the pastor wanted to lead the church out of the convention to disassociate with the liberal uh, connections of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so he invited Dr. John Rice and Dr. Lee Robertson in to preach. Well, there was a fellow in that church that did not like the idea of leaving the convention, so he came to the pastor and he said, Pastor, did I understand correctly you've invited Dr. John R. Rice and Dr. Jack Hiles to preach in this church? He said, yes, sir, I felt led of the Lord. He looked at him, he said, John R. Rice will not preach in my church. If I called the pastor's name, you'd know it. He said, well, brother, I didn't invite him to upset you, but I'm not going to cancel him to appease you because God didn't put you in charge of the pulpit around here. God put me in charge of the pulpit around here. And as long as I feel led to have Dr. John R. Rice and Lee Robertson come here to preach, they're going to preach. And he took his finger and punched the pastor on the chest and said, John R. Rice, he didn't like what Dr. Rice was writing in the Sword of the Lord about the Southern Baptist. See, he didn't like that. He said, John R. Rice will preach in my church over my dead body. I'll give you some more names and facts if you want to check this out. But when the wheels burnt the runway uh, in that large city, where that church was with Dr. John R. Rice and Lee Robertson on it, that man who'd been a deacon in that church for years suddenly dropped dead with a heart attack. They had the funeral while the meeting, the sword conference was going on. And six men took that man in a casket out the front door of the church and down the sidewalk in front of that big, monstrous, beautiful building underneath a big lighted sign whose edge hung over the sidewalk. And they marched his body in that casket right under that sign and overhead his dead body were these words. This week, hear Dr. Lee Robertson and Dr. John R. Rice and over his dead body was the name. Let me tell you something, buddy. This man right down here is not perfect. If you don't believe that, ask his wife. She'll inform you. He's not perfect. 
But I'll tell you this right now. He has to get up every morning and put his britches on just like any other man in this room. And as a man, he's no better than anybody else. But because of the position God's put him in, because God has chosen him to be pastor of this church, let me tell you something. I'd rather go up, up here in the mountains and get these old timber rattlers, open my shirt and chuck them down my shirt as I had to open my mouth against that man right there. No, you, you, you're touching God's anointed. You're touching God's anointed. If I were you, I'd be careful. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, I knew another pastor, large church, and he met with the deacons. It was in the south, and he said, fellas, look. He said, I don't know what you do at home, and I'm not going to come down there and police your house. But he said, fellas, look, I'm trying to preach to our young people to keep their bodies clean of impure things. And, and when I come out to shake hands of a morning, you deacons standing here on the front porch smoking cigarettes, sending up smoke signals, my young people walking right out seeing the deacons smoke, how, how can I get anything done? How can I? And uh, one of the deacons came to him later. Well, actually, the next service, I don't know how many they had saved. It was a going, growing church. And the pastor slipped out the side door to run around to front and catch the people when they came out after the closing prayer. Well, when he came up on the porch after having this meeting with the deacons, there was a deacon standing there. And the pastor ran up and he said, Brother, you just heard me ask you kindly not to do that. Our young, I'm going to have 450 teenagers walk out that door here just, just momentarily. Now I'm preaching to them, don't, don't suck 19 different poisons down your esophagus every time you take a draw on one of those things. Please, and, and I ask kindly. I wasn't, you know the spirit that I ask. Could I kind of, and this deacon took his finger and he punched this pastor on the chest. Took a draw and said, preacher, I'll tell you something. I was in this church when you came and I will be probably in this church when you leave and I will smoke where I please, when I please. And this pastor told him, he said, well, I guess I'll just have to turn it over to God, won't I? He said, yes, sir, I guess you will. That was on Sunday morning. That man was faithful. He was always there. Sir. Matter of fact, he stayed for the Sunday night service every Sunday, and then he'd get a truck and drive part of the night, get in the motel room so he could make his destination by Monday night. About 2 o'clock in the morning, this pastor got a call that same night, got a call uh, from the man's wife, and she's just hysterically crying, said, he's dead, he's dead. He said, what happened? He said, well, he, he, they said he was smoking in bed, must have gone to sleep, and the thing caught the pillow on fire. And he didn't actually burn, but he suffocated. And uh, he who smoked where he pleased, when he pleased, suddenly smoking more and enjoying it less. Now, I'm telling you something now. I know where I am. I know what part of the country I'm in. But I don't pass out a menu when I pray and when I preach or pray. And, and I'm telling you something now. You better listen to me. And I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about anything. I had a fellow in my church. Well, Amen. I hear another wolf howling somewhere. I believe we got another treat on that, don't you? I'm blowing the whistle on the wolf. Yeah. I had one of my assistant pastors call me one day. He said, preacher, I got another illustration for your wolf sermon. I said, tell me about it. He said, I had a fellow in my church. I didn't know he, ever, I didn't know he had any idea who you were, though he had heard me call your name from the pulpit. He was on a trip down south. And he visited Temple Baptist Church in Powell, Tennessee, where Dr. Clarence Sexton pastors, and said, you were there preaching. And said, uh, uh, you preached the wolf sermon. He didn't like it. He had wolf blood. He didn't like it. And said, um, he said, uh, he's had a terrible wreck coming home. He's laying down here in a semi-coma. And he said, I went to see him yesterday. 
And when I walked in, she was laying there with glassy eyes, and he was saying, Brother Brown. Brother Brown, he said, I, I didn't know what he was talking about. I said, Brother Larry Brown. See, he was my former assistant pastor. I said, Brother Larry Brown. Yeah, 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 Brother Brown. And then he said, he got a wild look in his eyes. I said, the wolves, the wolves. And then he said, Brother Brown sure knows how to get his point across. I don't know how to get my point across, but the Holy Ghost of God knows how to get his point across. And friend, you better watch. Let me tell you something. Uh, you better watch what you're doing. You better watch. You better watch. Better watch what you're doing. There was a preacher up here in the mountains, and I, I could call his name. And he was preaching in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And somebody gave him a note. And the note says, here's something you won't preach on, you bold preacher. You, you won't preach on this. We've got a deacon in this church running a liquor joint. You won't preach on that. He said, you be here tomorrow night and find out whether I do or not. And said they came back, and right in the middle of his sermon, he broke back and said, there's a deacon in this church selling liquor. I mean, owning a place of liquor. And boy, he gave all the Bible reasons why and the fact that the church covenant said you to refrain from the use or sale of alcohol. And man, he just cleaned. And all of a sudden, that fellow stood up in the middle of the service, stood his wife and children up, and yelled, I'll be back when you're gone, and started out. And my preacher friend said, and you'll run into God on down the road too, mister. That man went home. He'd been a deacon in that church for years. That man went home and mad, laid down, and we don't know why. To this day, they don't understand it. His wife was a sweet lady, but in the middle of the night, she got up and went around on his side of the bed opened the drawer and pulled out a live 38 and pulled it right down against his head. Bang! And blew his brains all over the pillow and just kept clicking. The children ran in. She's standing there with glassy eyes clicking a dry 38. They came and took her and put her in a psych ward. You don't get along well lifting your hand up against the man of God. You just don't. I'm, I'm warning you now. I'm, I'm glad it's getting quiet in here. I'm glad it's getting quiet in here. I'm, I'm glad about that. I don't want you shouting me down on this one. You better listen. You just better listen. Oh, by the way, preacher, there's one you need to hear. I'm just plug it in right here. Just do it all at one time. You folks can listen if you like, but don't really apply to you. In Illinois, we got a wolf park. It's a wolf park. You can go there and see all the wolves. A preacher that I know well, a camp meeting preacher, went there and walked through the gate, and he said, I'd like to speak to your proprietor. They said, uh, uh, well, uh, what's it about? He said, I'll tell him what you're getting. So the fellow came up and said to this preacher friend of mine, he says, what can I do for you, sir? This preacher looked at him and said, I'd like to see Mickey. The proprietor looked him up and down suspiciously and said, what do you know about Mickey? He said, I know he's a wolf that killed a little boy. The proprietor stared at him for a moment and said, come on, I'll show you Mickey. And this preacher said, I could have I walked over that entire wolf park without anybody with me and pointed to the wolf that killed that boy. There was something about his eyes. He had tasted human blood. There was something about that wolf different than all the other wolves. Now, let me tell you something. If they ever get a taste of preacher blood, and they want to stay, and they want to repent, and they want to get right, let them, and let them stay. But don't ever put one on as a deacon. Don't ever put one in an adult Sunday school class. If they ever get a taste of preacher blood, you better keep your eye on them. Now, you can take that for what it's worth, all of you. I was speaking to the pastor there. Done told you something now. And if you have a wolf leave, don't go get him. That's the dumbest thing a preacher ever did. Don't go get him, bring him back, let him go. Amen, amen, amen. I hear another wolf howling. I believe we're still treeing wolves, don't you? Amen.
blowing a whistle on the wolf tonight. Number five, the best defense against wolves. And by the way, some, if you've never heard this sermon before, some of you might have heard it before, but if you've never heard this sermon before, up yonder where they raise sheep, up yonder in upper Canada and Alaska especially, they have herds of sheep. And they got one problem, wolves. And those wolves, and a wolf can kill any size sheep in the, in the herd, but they, in the flock, but they particularly like the little lambs for two reasons. They're a little more tender, and they're easier to get and get over the fence and get away before trouble gets them. And so in the spring of the year is when they have the most wolf trouble, and these wolves will move in and just pick up those little lambs and haul them off. What do you think, what do you think is the major defense that a sheep herder has against wolves. What is it? Now, they use a lot of things, but what would you, and any answer will be a good answer. Start hollering them out. Tell me now. Tell me. Any, a what? A dog. Oh, a donkey. Well, a donkey, a donkey can do a lot of good, and boy, they're mean as a junkyard dog. They'll, they'll chase them down, but, but wait a minute. There's something even better than that. What? Dog straying. No. Hey, somebody, these are all good answers. These are all good answers. What else? What, what would you think is the number one? Well, you did, but you got to be there to shoot it. And you can't cover the whole flock 24-7. What is the number? Somebody holler it out. What? A what? Yeah, whistle's good. A good wolf dog. You hit it, a good wolf dog. And we ain't talking about a chihuahua either. We're talking about an old boy. His mama was a 110-pound pit bulldog, and he never met his daddy, but he was from a bad neighborhood. We're talking about a dog. We're talking about an old boy about this wide across his chest, got scar marks all over. One ear's been tore up. His lip was stripped out and hanging right here where he attacked six wolves at one time, killed four of them, and turned the, uh, ran the other two off. We're talking about a dog. He, his leg was wounded, but every time he takes a step, he goes, I'm talking about a dog. I'm talking about a dog. Every pastor needs a good wolf dog. Amen. A good wolf dog. Thank God for people that will stand up for their pastor. Amen and amen. Dick Seaton was a man who started pastor school in Hammond years ago. He helped meetings in my church. Dick went to California, built a church to 1,500. And boy, what a great preacher. Dick told his story. He said, I want this old boy to God. He's about six foot four, built like Hulk Hogan. And he dumb as a box of rocks, but he was a monster of a fellow. And he said he got saved and he was excited about being saved. And I said, look, uh, meet me Tuesday night. We're going soul winning. He said, soul winning? He said, soul winning. Come on, you'll learn with us. Well, I don't know if they had anybody saved or not, but on the way back to the church, he happened, the pastor happened to remember a church member, a faithful church member, but he hadn't seen him in three weeks. So he went by and rung the doorbell, his big young convert standing beside him. And when they opened the door, he said, I looked at that church man and I thought, oh boy, we got trouble. He said, come in. And said, we went in and sat down. Said, when we went in and sat down, said, um, I tried to make conversation. Conversation didn't go well, Dick said. And then I said, well, brother, we've been missing you at the church. Have you been sick? Nope. Well, has your wife or any of the children been sick? Nope. He said, well, is there some problem? Yes, there is, preacher, and I'm going to tell you what it is. And he raised his finger. Now, he didn't hit him, but he took his finger. He was raising. And Brother Seaton said, I was so consumed with what this guy's grievances was, I forgot all about my young convert till I felt the floor shake. And he said, all of a sudden, a puff of wind went by. And it was that monster of a guy. 
and he grabbed that little shrimp around the neck and he had him down on the floor, beating his head against the floor, said, don't you ever, don't you ever put your finger in my preacher's face again as long as you ever, don't you ever, don't you, and he won't either. As a matter of fact, at last report, he hadn't even had a negative thought about it. Yeah, yeah. Ha, I got a pre- uh, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be surprised if you knew who this preacher was. An evangelist holding meeting in a, in, a, in a fellow's church. And the pastor said, preacher, you really picked a juicy time to come and hold a revival. He said, what's going on? He said, well, word has it, my little assistant passed. He's turned on me. He's disloyal. He's going to get up tonight when he comes his time to make announcements, and he's going to present a bunch of stuff against me. And he said, you sure picked a juicy time to hold a revival. And my evangelist friend, I wish you could know me. He said, well, he told me, well, we'll just see how it goes. They was singing up on the platform, you know, and the choir was singing, the congregation was singing, and this little assistant pastor standing here, and the evangelist standing over right here, pastor standing here, other staff members standing over there, and all of a sudden, this evangelist walked up behind this little assistant and went, he said, feel that, son? He said, yeah, what is that? He said, that's a live 45, and you open your mouth against that preacher, I'll blow your gut, slam out the front of your stomach. Do you hear me? He said, yes, sir. That's one of the quietest, sweetest services you was ever in. You say, Brother Brown, do you condone such behavior? Of course not. It's not Christian. It's not Christian. Christians don't act that way. It's, 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 you have to be totally backslid to do that. But you know how people get sometimes. <clears throat> now, I'm going to tell you something. You listen to me. Don't you go out beating people's heads against the floor. And don't you pull live 45s on people. Because if you do, you're going to get your picture in the paper. And you're going to get the pastor's picture in the paper. And before it's over, you're going to get my picture in the paper. But I'll tell you what I'd do if I was you. You get somebody running their mouth on your preacher, disloyal, running around, uh, criticizing what he's doing. I tell you what you ought to do. You ought to get you four men. I mean four good-sized fellows, about the size of that one there and that one over there with that blue shirt. Get you about four of them. And next Sunday morning as he starts out, you just meet him in the vestibule and get around him and say, now it has come to our attention. It has come to our attention that you are unhappy with our pastor. Oh, now wait a minute. We've done our homework. We know what you're saying. We know what you're doing. And we have some good advice for you. Get happy or get moving. We love our pastor around here, and we don't appreciate people running him down. And we don't appreciate people uh, discrediting him and criticizing him for what he does. We just happen to know he loves God and he's genuine and he's he's a humble man through and through. And we've got some news for you. We don't appreciate people running him around and running him down. Now, if we hear any more of this, the boy's going to be back around to see you. And you're not going to enjoy the meeting. You're really not. You're not going to enjoy the meeting. Hey, I believe in loyalty. Say amen right there. You're not, my wife and my pastor, uh, my children, you're not going to come and run your mouth against them. I'll come climbing up your carcass like a monkey climbing. You say, well, you 77-year-old bald-headed runt. I'd whip you. You'd have it to do, bud. You'd have it to do. And by the way, I might surprise you. I might get one off on you. You know, you, you have it to do. Amen. I don't believe, well, silence is golden. No, it ain't golden. Just plain yeller. Just plain yeller. Stand up for the man of God. Stand up for your pastor. I wouldn't let anybody take my preacher away from me. I wouldn't let anybody take my church away from me. I wouldn't let anybody ruin the spirit in my church. Amen. And you heard it here. Well, amen. The best defense 
I guess wolves is a good wolf dog. Good wolf dog. Get verbal. And by the way, preacher, when that wolf comes over the fence to get some of your little tender young converts, do you know the, smart, the best thing he can see is about four big wolf hides nailed to the side of the barn? <laughs> Amen. Stand up! <sighs> preacher friend, Ella came in. Pastor, I just came in to let you know we feel your work is finished here. He looked at him. He said, you know, I thought it was too, but I see a new work just begun. Amen? And uh, I mean, stand up, stand up for the sheep. We're talking about Titus 1, 10 through 11, unruly and vain talkers and deceivers whose mouths must be stopped, subverting whole houses, teaching things that they ought not. We're talking about wolves. And the best way to survive a wolf attacked, the best way to survive a wolf attacked. You know, there's people in this room, the shadow of the person you once were. You once were on fire for God. You ran bus routes and went soul winning and God was using you. But, and you're still here. And you're still for it. And you still appreciate it. But something happened to you in a wolf attack years ago. I had a lady come to me. I was preaching in the National Sword Conference in Walkertown. And a lady came. She said, we pastored a church. I told how many years we won these people to God. We walked the halls when they were having surgeries and was there when they were having their babies. We buried their old and married their young. And those same people knifed us in the back. And she said, I'm not, I wasn't mad then and I'm not mad now. And I wasn't bitter then. I'm not bitter now. But pastor, it has done something to me I just cannot get over. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm speaking to people in this room that won't be in church five years from right now. You won't be in anybody's church five years from right now. You say, who are they? Don't know. But you can, you can count on it. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you're in no condition to survive a wolf attack. Uh, you know, you don't know it, but where they, those buffalo herders up in Canada and Alaska, they keep about six semi-domesticated wolves in a cage. And from time to time, they'll go out and pull the pin on the cage and let the wolves trot out among the buffalo. And when they do, those buffalo scatter. Natural instinct. But there'll be one buffalo left. And those wolves will be trotting around and around that buffalo, getting ready to take her down. Do you know what those buffalo herders do then? They go out and run those wolves back into the cage, pull that buffalo in and start shooting antibiotic into them. Because they know that cow buffalo is sick. Who told them? The wolves told them. We don't know how the wolves know, but they prey on the weak. They know which ones they can take down. They know which ones they can get. There's only one way in the world that you're going to survive a wolf attack. And I'll tell you with another illustration, and it's this right here. Those old mountain sheep, my, they're fun to watch. You can take your binoculars and watch them way up high, and you'll see two or three wolves just walking way back, walking, trailing them. And they smell them, and those sheep are going up the mountain. And those sheep don't have teeth to combat those wolves, and they can't outrun them. They don't have claws to claw them, but they have one defense. They just keep going higher. You see, what those wolves don't know is the higher they go, the thinner that air gets. And the thinner that air gets, the better those mountain sheep love it. They're acclimated to it, but the wolves aren't. And if you could watch those wolves, you'd see their tongues hanging out about that far. Saliva running off the end of their tongue. 
And you, you, you watch them with your binoculars and you see them following at least two, maybe four. And the lead wolf would say, if you could hear him talk, you'd say, say, hey, Ralph, getting kind of hard to breathe up here, isn't it? And Ralph said, yeah, Frank, sure is. He said, hey, Ralph, you know, I was just thinking, a good old jackrabbit tastes about as good right now, don't you think? He said, yeah, Frank, I, I just think the same thing. He said, these crazy sheep, man, they, they, you'd think there was no top to this mountain. Uh, let's go down and get some good jackrabbit. What do you say? He said, sounds like a good thing. And down they come off the mountain. The only thing that's going to save you is just to go higher and higher. They got a term in the New England states, if you buy real estate, it's a whole lot more expensive if you buy above the snake line. There is a line above which no poisonous snakes are found. But if you live above the snake line, you're on better property. Brother, I'm going to tell you, there is, I'm pressing on my upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Oh, yes. I could have a hallelujah spell and run all over this church right now. Amen and amen. Yeah. And so you need to get off social media enough to learn the word of God. You need to get back to prayer. You need to get your eyes on the Lord and quit listening to the critics and quit repeating stuff you heard. Amen. Now let me close the sermon by saying this. I don't know how long I preached. The pastor said I had plenty of time. You don't know it. Woodland Baptist Church don't know it, but I know that you're sitting on a gold mine. I travel, folks. I walk in and out of the best church. See, I don't get invitations from liberal churches. They know better. But I walk in and out of independent, fundamental, premillennial, temperamental, Jesus-loving, devil-hating Baptist, Baptist churches all the time. And I'm here to tell you, if your pastor died tomorrow, and you called me and said, we need somebody to replace Tim Gammon. Can you help us? I'd say, I wish I could. I travel all over the world. We, I mean, we're nine foreign countries now, all over America. I was just in Oregon, Montana, New England states, south, everywhere. And uh, I'm telling you, you don't find churches like this. And you don't find preachers like that either. Now, I'm going to tell you there's something, and maybe you've never heard anybody say this. Maybe you've never heard anybody say this before, but I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm going to make him a little nervous now. But your pastor has one thing unique, even among the best of godly, spirit-filled, independent Baptist preachers. And it's hard to understand how it is, but I'll tell you what it is. You've got one of the meekest pastors, one of the meekest, humblest men of God. He is so meek. My daughter Sarah told me today, she said, Dad, he's actually shy until he gets in the pulpit. <laughs> he's actually shy. He's, uh, and I pick up on it. He gets around him. He's, he's real meek. And you know what the Bible says in the book of Numbers, chapter number 12? Here's what it said. It says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath not he spoken by us and by the Lord? And the Lord heard that. And here's what it says. Now, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. And when they said, Moses ain't be the boss. We can be the boss. You know, just getting up there. And the Bible says, and the Lord spake suddenly. He said, Moses, you get Miriam and Aaron. 
these two critics, you get out here to Tabernacle. I want to talk to you all. And they got out there, and the Lord said to them, Wherefore, then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He's the meekest man in the earth. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous, just like a, a, a baby dead when it comes out of the room. It's half rotten, and that's exactly what it looked like. You don't just have a man of God. You don't just have a faithful man. You got a very meek man. You got a very meek man. You better watch your attitude. You better watch who you listen to and what you listen to. And I'm just simply saying, you better do it, and you better do it now. I'll give you pastors according to my own heart, Jeremiah 3:15. God sure must have loved Woodland Baptist Church to give you a man like Tim Gammon. Second Chronicles 7:11. Solomon says, Because the Lord hath loved his people, he hath made me king over them. God sure must have loved this church. Now, my advice to you is love him, love his family. I don't have no clue what you're paying him, but give him a raise. I don't care what it is. Give him a raise. Give him a raise. You say, well, I think he's making too much. You're not right with God. I never thought my wife got too much. I never thought my children got too much, and I never thought my pastor got too much. Amen. And by the way, you can trust a man of God. If he gets too much, he'll be giving it back in the offering, and you know he will. Amen. There's a world out there don't don't know anything about your past except the way he dresses, what he drives, and the house he lives in. And I'd make sure that they saw he was a king. Amen. Pay him. Be loyal to him. Be loyal to his wife. And by the grace of God, just say, until that man crosses this book right here, I'm going to stay with the man of God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Let's bow our heads in prayer.